Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Ezekiel 48 today. We're going to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 48. We've been on a series called Our Complete Redemption. Our Complete Redemption. So, as I've mentioned to you several times now about this series, there are nine basic uh, titles of God in referencing Him as it relates to Him in the phrase of Yahweh or what we would say Jehovah. And in those nine names, seven are redemptive, meaning that we, the redeemed, are now having the privilege of walking in what those actual names talk to us about as it relates to God because of what Jesus did. Say, Jesus redeemed me. So when Jesus redeemed you, those seven redemptive names now are a part of what we have the right to be able to walk in as God's children. Because redemption means we've been put in a new position with God. We've been placed in a position with God as his children that we can now receive and to walk in our rightful redemption. So in those seven names that are redemptive in the Old Testament, revealing a part of God, we see a fulfillment of those in Jesus in the New Testament. So we've gone through the first six. For the sake of time, I'm not going to review them all with you. take too much time. But I'm going to go right to this final and seventh name, of God that reveals to us clearly a part of our redemption in Christ. When you understand these seven things and relate them to your life and how we've been teaching you how to walk in the light of them, you get the benefit of your full redemption, our complete redemption. Ezekiel 48. So in Ezekiel's day, he was one of, of course, the Old Testament prophets in relationship to what we call a minor prophet. In in the Old Testament doesn't mean he was less than, but it just means in relationship to how they're kind of outlined in the Bible. But understand this, the days of Ezekiel were not good days for Ezekiel because Judah was very rebellious at this time. Matter of fact, they say it was the most rebellious time of their history. They're in Babylonian captivity because of their rebellion. And so Ezekiel didn't have a real great assignment. Everybody thinks that prophets just go around and tell everybody how much money you're going to make and how to get it and how to do it and all this kind of stuff. And New Testament, by the way, that doesn't apply. In the Old Testament, they didn't tell them that. In the Old Testament, they went around warning them. And telling them things they shouldn't do and things that they need to do and etc. So they could avoid problems and issues and challenges. But in the context of Ezekiel as well, guess what we find all through the book of Ezekiel? Pictures of what's to come for us as a prophetic statement of the aspects of what we have in relationship to our future in Christ. Once we get to heaven, the new Jerusalem is mentioned. We're going to read about it right here. There's different times that he was making statements that clearly could not have been speaking of a time frame they lived in, but a prophetic time frame to come. And so that's the case here. That's one of the contexts of what we're going to read here. And you'll see that clearly based on the study we just recently went through, the whole book of Revelation with you from uh, one of our spiritual dads, Dr. Sutton's uh, teachings on that. Powerful, by the way. I was reminiscing yesterday about our five spiritual fathers, thinking about how blessed we are to have such incredible great men that have poured into our lives. In Ezekiel 48 and verse 30, at the very end of the chapter, Ezekiel, by God speaking through him to the children of Judah, is referencing a time that's about to come in relationship of a future event of a new city that would be built. You're clearly going to see this is not a city they're going to build. This is is going to refer to the new Jerusalem. Watch this, verse 30. These are the exits of the city on the north side, measuring 4,000... Uh, excuse me, four, uh, yeah, measuring 4,500 cubits. The gates of the city, talking about this city that's to come, shall be named after the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes. The three gates northward, one gate for Reuben, one gate for Judah, one gate for Levi. How many know in the book of Revelation it says each one of those gates will be made out of what? One pearl. Think about the size of that pearl. You know what's what's more interesting? People would say, think about the size of the oyster. Here's what's really cool. God didn't need the oyster to make that one pearl. If you think God needed a big oyster to make that pearl, you're wrong. God didn't need an oyster to make that pearl. 
So these gates referred to here in Revelation are these gates made of one pearl that are representative, 12 of them all around the, the entire part of the city, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. 32 on the east side, 4,500 cubits, same distance, three more gates, one for Joseph, one gate for the tribe of Benjamin, and one for Dan. 33 on the south side, measuring again, 4,500 cubits, three gates, one gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, one gate for Zebulun. 34 on the west side, 4,500 cubits again in its length with three gates, one gate for Gad, one gate for Asher, one gate for Naphtali. Now, you'll notice in the next verse, verse 35, this is why we know, we already can tell just by that description, this is not talking about a city they're going to build because it never happened. So this is a city to come. And you go back and look at Revelation and you're hearing the same description of the new Jerusalem. Again, I'll remind you, don't, don't shut me off for the rest of the day if you, if you believe this. Just study it for yourself. The body of Christ is not the bride of Christ. We're the friends, the New Testament says, of the bridegroom. And the bride, actually, for, the, uh, for uh, Jesus, for the bride, of, the bride of Christ, is actually the new Jerusalem. The Bible tells you that black and white in the uh, book of Revelation. It says this new Jerusalem, this new city, is the bride. Amen? Because guess who actually dwells in the city and gives its light? The Lord does. Verse 35, watch this. All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city, now this is significant, the name of the city from that day shall be, underline it, the Lord is there. So the focus isn't the city. The reason it's so significant to understand this, the focus isn't the city. Why? Because it's named after God. Why? Because God is the purpose for that city. And the context of the name of the city is the Lord is there. The, the, the Hebrew word here is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, Jehovah or Yahweh, we say Jehovah, is there. The phrase there is Shammah in the Hebrew. So this is the Hebrew word of the seven redemptive names of God. This is the final of the seven redemptive names of God that reference something to me and you about the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. So in relationship to the definition of this word or this phrase or this name of God, a lot of people would say, well, the Lord is present. That's true. But again, in the Hebrew, it's not actually stating that directly. It's referencing it in a way, and I'm going to show you why. In the Hebrew, here's what it says. The Lord is there for me. Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is there for me. In that city, how I many you know we're going to get to live in it? The new Jerusalem. Guess who's never going to leave that, that place ever again? God is not. Guess who, in relationship to me and you now, okay, we now have the privilege under our redemption in Christ to know I don't have to wait to get to that city. Because the Lord is now present with me, so the Lord is now there for me. I don't care where you are on the planet, the moment you get born again, guess what? The Lord is there for you. There's all kinds of verses on this. We're just going to look at a handful this morning because, again, I told you, you can go into each one of these names and do weeks of study and teaching on just one of the names. This was just to give you a, a focus of your complete redemption. So it's important to understand why he's referencing the fact that I'm going to be there. Why is he going to be there? For you. What was the purpose of God being in the garden? He was there for Adam and Eve. See, God's not just there to be there. He's there for you. He's there for you to experience relationship. He's there for you to experience his wisdom. He's there for you to experience his help and strength. He's there for you to help, help experience all that he has available for you. He's a good father. He loves his kids and he wants to help his kids. And we got to realize that we don't have to try to get God present to get his help. Why? Because the moment you got born again, you now have Jehovah Shama, Say it. The Lord, the Lord is there for me. Where is he? He's inside you. He's dwelling in your heart. He's living inside you as a believer now and you're a spirit man. That is what is so significant and so different as it relates to what we know about the religions of the world and the difference between that and a relationship with God. See, there's no religion in the world that gives you the ability to whoever the deity is to come and live with you or live in you or, or be with you. There's only one, and that's God. That's why every other religion fails because they can't change the problem that's on the inside of you. 
the sin nature, but God does. And the moment you get born again, now is that sin nature changed. The reason it's changed is because guess who changed it? God did by coming and living inside you. He didn't come and get you born again and then disappear. He's not going to go into the new Jerusalem and then disappear. He's going to be there forever. But as a redemptive right, in a, as a child of God, part of our redemption, guess what? I have that now on this planet every day because God will never leave me nor forsake me. You didn't hear me. God will never leave me nor forsake me. Well, why don't he help me? Because you haven't learned how to get his help yet. He's there to help you, but he's a perfect gentleman. So lift a hand right now to the Heavenly Father and say, Thank you, Father. You are there for me in my inner man every day in Jesus' name. You think about all the issues and things you go through and you think, Man, I wish God would help me. He's sitting right there on the inside of you saying, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Problem is you haven't learned how to take advantage of me being here for you. You haven't learned how to become aware that I'm there. Because God is, as Kathy said, love itself. If you are walking in an awareness of God, guess what you're walking in every day? An awareness of true love. That love, I will promise you, will cause you to see life a whole lot different. You'll realize God so loves me, he's going to take care of me no matter what. I got no reason to fear. You kidding? He loves me. You know, as a kid growing up, even though, and there is no perfect parent except God, obviously. But, you know, as a kid growing up, even though my parents, of course, like yours, weren't perfect, there was something that I knew as a child growing up that I never forgot as it related to my parents. And they told me, they told me multiple times, I will always be there for you. I don't, my dad even told me one time, he said, I don't care what, now don't make them, but I'm just telling you, I don't care what dumb decisions you make in life, how stupid you may, you know, become and doing something that you know, hurts your life. He said, I want you to know this. I'm always there for you. You can call me. You can call me and I will help. I'll do whatever it takes to help you out. But I will never abandon you. I will be there to help you. Now, that was a great strength to know just from a natural father. But let me help you. Even though that was wonderful to know, guess what? God far transcends that. And he's a whole lot more help than even your natural parents can be. I would like a better amen than that. And the moment you're born again, guess what? He's there for you. Say, he's there for me. Well, where is he there for me? In you. You just got to become aware of it. I'll show you. John 14. John 14. One of the biggest problems for a lot of people today is they're not aware that he's there for multiple reasons. They're not aware that he's there to help them. There's certainly clearly in a lot of believers' lives an, an understanding in some cases they're not aware he's there because of their lifestyle. We're going to talk about this a little bit today because it can affect the aspect of your awareness of God. It doesn't cause God to hate you. It doesn't cause God. God can't hate you. It doesn't cause God to turn his back on you. It doesn't cause God not to love you. I've told you this before, God's love. So guess what? God only knows how when it comes to people to love them. He doesn't hate people. He hates what people do because it hurts their life and hurts others. But he's never in the context of the Bible ever said he hates a person. You listening? Not, not his creation, not those who he created. Understand, every sinner in hell, God loves them the same as you. They chose to reject him. They chose to have nothing to do with him. He still loves them. He still loves them. So you got to understand this about God. God, who is ever present with us, is wanting you to be aware of his presence. But to do that, you have to do some things to become aware of that. You can't just go through life thinking, well, I know he's there. He wants you to know that. He wants you to be aware of it. He's a person. And you can know his presence is with you. Amen? John 14 So Jesus talks about this in relationship to what he would do for us to come and die in our place and what he would fulfill through going to the cross. Look what he said here in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep what? Keep my commandments. I mean, want to experience God's love. Now notice he did not say if you keep my commandments, you prove you love me. No. If you love me, what's going to be the result? You're going to want to keep his commandments. If you don't love him, guess what you're not going to want to do? You're not going to want to keep his commandments. That means your love set on something else. All you got to do is get it fixed and set your love on him. You'll want to keep his commandments because you know he loves you. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father. Who's going to pray? Who's going to pray? Jesus says, anybody think the Son of God ever gets his prayers answered? Watch this. I'm going to pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Who's going to give us another helper? 
The Father will. Who's going to pray that prayer for you? Jesus will. I'm going to pray this prayer, and the Father's going to give you another helper. Watch this. Underline it. That he may abide with you forever. Jehovah Shammah. Because when God inhabits the new Jerusalem, his presence will never leave that city. Now bring it over into the New Testament. When God inhabited your heart, his presence will never leave you unless you renounce him. Unless you reject him. But he won't walk away. He won't walk away from you. He'll only do it if you tell him, I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. So understand this. The minute that you got born again, Jesus' prayer, think about this. How many are born again and you know it? Jesus is living in your heart. The moment you got born again, guess what? That, that prayer right there got answered for you. Jesus prayed that prayer for you before you were ever even born. And the moment you said, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I receive this new salvation. I receive this new spirit. Guess what? That prayer got answered. And the Father responded to his prayer 2,000 years ago. That you're now acting on in faith and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to come and live in you and to be with you forever. Guess what got fulfilled? Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there for me. The Lord is there for me. Notice this. I want you to see this. Verse 17. He is known as the Spirit of Truth. Now why is that important? Because people talking about God told me, the Holy Spirit told me, I know the Lord told me, I know the Lord led me to do this. And you go to the Bible, which John 17, 17 says, this is truth. And if you go to this truth and you say God told you something or directed you to do something, and it goes totally contrary to the Bible, guess what you just found out? That wasn't God. You might have thought it was. But he's the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. This is why the Holy Spirit will never go contrary to the Bible. He will never lead you contrary to the Bible. He will never lead you to believe or understand something contrary to the Bible. If he is actually the one revealing stuff to you, it's going to be in line with this because he's the spirit of truth. And that means he's the spirit who reaffirms truth. What is truth? John 17, 17. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are truth. This is truth. The word of God is truth. Amen? I said amen. amen. So notice 17, this Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Whom, watch, whom the world can't receive. We mean the world can't. Well, obviously, if you're going to be worldly carnal, not receive salvation, not be born again, they can't receive him. Now, we were all of the world, but when we gave Jesus our life, we were no longer of the world. We're still in it, but we're no longer of it. So now we can receive him. But the world cannot, they cannot receive him, watch, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Who does not see him or know him? The world doesn't. But who should the Bible, excuse me, who should be able in the Bible to see him as it relates to doing things in our life? Who is it according to the Bible that should know him? The body of Christ, because he lives in you. He lives in you. Those who are of the world can't, that doesn't mean you can't notice, but you know him, underline it. You know him, you know him, who? The Holy Spirit. The one who will come and be present with you. The one who is there for you. Notice this. You know him. Watch. For, underline it. He dwells with you and will be in you. Now he's telling his disciples at this time they can't be born again. But I told you as long as Jesus was with them, guess what he could do? He could allow the Holy Spirit to go with them to do the things they did. And that's why I said it's to your advantage I go because if I don't, Guess what? God can't send the Holy Spirit to live in everybody. But here, that's why he says to his disciples at the moment, he dwells with you, but he will what? He will be in you. Because the moment you get born again, what does he do? He comes to reside in you. 18. I love this. I will not leave you orphans. See, when he was with them, they were an orphan, meaning what? Fatherless. Fatherless. Well, obviously they didn't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father yet, uh, uh, Pastor. Yes, they did. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm only saying what the Father says. I'm only doing what the Father uh, shows me to do. So the whole time Jesus was with him, guess what God the Father was doing? He was fathering them. So he tells us, I'm not going to leave you orphans because if he goes away, the Holy Spirit obviously cannot now be with them in the same way with Jesus. But... He's not going to leave them orphans. Why? Because I'm going to come to you. How's he going to do that? By way of the Holy Spirit. Say, I'm not an orphan. So an orphan is what? Fatherless. You're not fatherless. Jesus gave you the ability to now have the Lord there for you, 
God the Father, himself, him, uh, Jesus the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the moment she got born again, any amens on that? Yeah. Verse 19, now a little while longer, again talking directly to his disciples, a little while longer the world will see me, because obviously he's about to go to the cross, no more. But you will see me, excuse me, we will see you. Yeah, they're going to see him raised from the dead. They're going to see him after he comes back up from the grave. Notice this. Because I live, you will what? You're going to live also. You're going to get this new life. 20. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father. Listen and underline it. You in me and I in you. Jehovah Shammah. You're going to know. See, when you're born again, you know it. I've taught you this many times. Romans 8 says, as we're about to see, the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. You're a child of God. If you don't have that witness on the inside that the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're probably not born again. Because that's how you know. You don't know because you prayed a prayer. That, uh, there's, no, there's no verse in all 66 books of the Bible that says because you prayed a prayer, you know you're born again. There's no verse for that. The, the Bible says, as you're about to see directly from Scripture, if you're born again, you're going to know it because the Holy Spirit's going to bear witness on this spirit man inside. I'm a child of God. If you quiet your mind, guess what your spirit knows? I'm born again. I have new life. It's a good feeling. I said it's a good feeling. It's like one that puts a smile on your face like you all need to put on your face right now. That's a good feeling. See, if Jehovah Shammah is there, you're not walking around sad and depressed. How could you walk with Jesus for three and a half years and be sad and depressed? They were not. We can't, other than obviously when he went in the garden, obviously then they see him crucified. Sure, I'm talking about while they're walking with him in ministry. Where do we see the disciples sad and depressed? We don't. We see them at awe in all that he does. We see them again and again at all in relationship to what he does. And I will promise you, walking with the Son of God, you are not sad and depressed. Well, guess what? He lives in you by way of the Holy Spirit. Why would you be sad and depressed? I'm going to tell you why you would, because you're not walking in the reality of your redemption, Jehovah Shalom. So notice this, verse 21, this is powerful. He goes on to say, he who has again my commandments, brings it up the second time. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Now that's significant because if we don't do what Jesus taught us, we're going to hurt our life. He doesn't want you to do it. You know why he brings this up twice? A lot of times this is not spoken of and it needs to be. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He who loves me and has my commandments will keep my commandments. Why is he, is he forcing the issue about the commandments? No. Here's what he wants you to understand. A big difference between the Old Testament law and now the New Testament lifestyle God wants you to live is under the Old Testament law, they didn't obey the law because they knew God loved them and they loved God. Oh, no. Bible says, when you did not love me, Jesus came and died for you. So he said, even though they had a law to uphold to cover their sin... Right? The blood sacrifice is atonement. You've not been atoned. You've been cleansed. Right. Tones a covering. You've not been covered. You've been washed. Amen. Tell some you've been washed. Amen. So understand this. Under the Old Testament, they had a law. God had to put something in place to show them their need for a Savior that was to come because of the sin of Adam. But he also had to do what? Create blood sacrifices because there is no way to cover your sin without a blood sacrifice. So under that Old Testament, they had to keep the law to guard themselves from what was going on in the earth with Satan, but they did it simply because it was a law. We are not supposed to live by the New Testament because it's a law. We're supposed to live by according to what Scripture teaches us as a New Testament believer. You know why? Because we love Him. Amen. Not because it's a law. You want to know why I go to church? Let me tell you why. It honestly ain't for you. I do come here to help you. I know my calling. Don't get, the, don't get me wrong. That's not the number one motive why I come. I'll tell you why. I'm a disciple. I love him more than I love you. I love him more than I love my wife. I love him more than I love my mom and dad. If I didn't, Luke 14 says I wouldn't be his disciple. I didn't say I don't love you. I said I love him more. I'll tell you why I come to his house, because I love him. I'll tell you why I spend time with him in the word, because I love him. I'll tell you why I like to spend time in prayer talking to him, because I love him. I don't do these things because it's some rigid uh, regiment that I have to uphold some law. No, I do it because of love. What he just told you in those two verses is, if you don't do this because of love, it's no different than what happened under the Old Testament. It's just a religious law. And guess what you'll miss out on? You ready? You ready? Relationship. 
relationship. See, if you do under the New Testament what the Bible teaches, but not out of love, you won't experience the relationship God has for you because you're not doing it out of love. He is love. Therefore, guess what? You're not experiencing him. You're making all this aspect of lifestyle rules and regulations to live by instead of a relationship with a God who loves you. So he brings it up twice because he's trying to explain. You got to learn to do these things because of love, not because of a law. And I love you, and I'm telling you, I want you to walk in the light of what I've taught because that will help you to walk in what I have for you. So verse again, verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me, watch, watch, watch. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. Because again, he's love, but guess what? This is why. Why did God have to give man a choice in the garden? It's easy. It's not hard to figure out. Why did he have to give Adam and Eve a choice to ever pastor, even have an opportunity to eat of a tree that he said not to? I'm going to tell you why. When I fell in love with Kathy, I can't make her love me. I can't force her to love me. Now, the love that I want to share with her, I can't share with her unless she loves me. If she loves me, she'll experience the love I have for her. God is love. You, God wanted, as Kathy said up here this morning, God wanted us to experience his love. You can't do that without loving him. He's not going to force you to be a robot and you experience his love. If you force somebody into a relationship, they're not going to experience your love because it's a rule. It's not based off of love. You listening? It's because you've been made a slave, not somebody who chooses to want to walk with that person. When you choose to love God, guess what you get back? You get loved. You listening? God sent his son, his love for us. But guess what? Nobody's going to experience that love without doing what? Choosing that love by loving him back. By coming to him and, and by love, accepting what he's done and receiving him. Now you get to experience his love. Well, that goes on in your walk with God. So again, realize he's clear. He said, he who loves me, middle of verse 21, he's going to be loved by my father and I will love him. Watch, underline, and manifest Myself to him. In other words, I'm going to reveal myself to that person. Well, how's he going to reveal that self, himself to that person? By coming to live in you. By coming to live in you. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, who betrayed him, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How's that going to happen? You said the world won't see you, but we will. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will do what? So he says it three times. Three times. I'm going to tell you again why. Because you don't do what God says because you have to. You do it because you love him. And if you don't love him, it's because you love something more than him. It's that simple. If I'm not doing what God says about my life, I either don't know what to do. But if I do know what to do and I don't do it, what does that reveal about me, Pastor? You're loving something more than you love God. And in doing so, you're missing out on the relationship God has for you. An awareness of God. You can't have an idol in your life, something more important than God, and experience the presence of God in your life. Because the idol will get in the way. God is there for you, but you need to be aware of him to get his help. If you're not aware, I mean, seriously, think about it this way. It, you know, if, if Matt wanted to help me with something that I didn't know, and Matt comes up behind me, and I'm looking the other way, and my full attention is on somebody else, and he's talking, I'm not getting any help from Matt because I'm not even making myself aware that he's there. I'm focused on something else. When you don't love God with all your heart, you don't get the help of God, not because he's not there. He's trying to help. You're not aware. You're just not aware that he's there trying to help you. Think about how many times God, come on, man. I mean, a friend of mine, Ty Murray, who the, holds the most titles of all-around champion cowboy in, in the you know, context of the time frame we live in. Huh? Oh, that's right. Trevor overtook him. Sorry. Who one time was the all-time all-around. He's a great cowboy. He's a friend of mine. I follow him on Facebook. And they live down past the Stephenville area, down, big down, Steve, uh, down in the Stephenville area. They got a little daughter. She's a daredevil. This girl, man, she's not afraid to do anything. Anything. And it's kind of a challenge because it's kind of like, well, what do you let her do on her own? But what do you want to step out and say, no, I need to stop you because I don't want you to get hurt. She just was on a playground here this week. And she went to try to get on an obstacle and she tripped and fell. And she hit her two front teeth. She lost both her two front teeth. Bleeding everywhere. Had to go to... 
you know, hospital, and then go to a dentist and stuff and everything else. But, you know, after that, I mean, it wasn't three days. She's right back on the same thing at that playground. And her mom was like, where do, you, where do you draw the line to say, I want to say no and protect her and not let her just do whatever, but I don't want to hold her back either from obviously having the ability to know she can do what she puts her mind to to accomplish it. Well, listen, folks, listen, this is important. You got to understand as it relates to God, God's wanting to reach out to help. But if we're ignoring him or just don't know he's there, he can't help us. Right? Right? I know all the little kids are smarter than their parents, aren't they? I want some answers. Randy's speaking up pretty quick. All the little kids are smarter than their parents. So she goes to get on this same obstacle. She's about halfway up it. And her mama says, Oakley, be careful. I'm all right, mama. See, well, you know, you're not going to receive any help from your parent. You can get hurt again. God wants to help us. Come on. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's there for you. But, he can't, but listen, you can't get his help by ignoring him. We may not intentionally think we are, but if our love is set on something else, that's why three times he said, if you love me, you're going to... How, how do you know, how do you know you're going to obey them, Lord? How do you know, excuse me, Lord, that they're going to obey you if they love you? Because if they love me, they're looking at me, and they're going to hear me. They're going to let me help them. Say, God wants to help me. See, God wants to help you every part of your life. And it's wonderful to have other people to help you as well. But I'll tell you what, beyond even what we should do as believers to help one another, you've got to learn to draw from God. There's only one way God can help you. You've got to be aware he's there. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there for me. But I've got to be aware of that. I said I've got to be aware of that. So if I love him, guess what? I'm going to be aware of that because I'm going to look to him. And I'm going to do what he tells me because I love him. So if your love is set on anything else other than Jesus, you're not going to be aware that he's there. 23, Jesus answered again and said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will do what? Love him back. It's not like he doesn't already love you. In other words, you're going to get to experience the love of the father. My father will love him. Notice, and we will come to him, underline it, and make our home with him. Jehovah Shammah. We will come and abide in you. We will make our home in you. If you're born again, guess what? God's made his home in you. This is our complete redemption. This is a part of what we get now, the benefit of Jehovah Shammah. Verse 24, notice this. He who does not love me again does not what? So now he's saying the opposite. If they don't love me, they're not going to keep my words. Notice this. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there for us. He wants to help us, but he can't help us. I want to give you some keys today. He can't help us if we're not aware that he's there. Number one, you can't love anything more than you love him or you're not going to be aware that he's there. You should write these down. I must love God more than anyone or anything else. If you don't love God more than anything else, you're not going to be aware he's there. You're going to have your focus on something else, things more important to you. And the problem is when we try to live out that kind of help from God, we are walking in relationship to love of our stuff, other people, our social media, our toys, our hobbies, our crafts, our business, our job, name it. We're, we're more focused on that than we are doing what obviously the Bible says to love on Him. And if we're more focused on that than loving on Him, then a problem comes and now we're trying to find out where are you, Lord? Anybody ever said that? Where are you, Lord? And you know what he's saying? I was there all along. You were never aware. But if you were aware, you'd have known. I'd have helped you. Are you still here? Understand, again, why do people not consistently obey the Bible? Why do people violate the New Testament today and not do what Scripture teaches about not forsaking assembling together as the manner of some? And so much more as we see the day approaching. Assembly is coming to God's house. Look it up. Why do people ditch God's house today? I'm going to tell you why they love things more than they love God. They're going to give him some lip service. They're going to give him some time. They know as a believer I should do that. But again, I don't come to God's house. I won't be back here tonight because of you. 
I'll be back here tonight because I love him. And this is the Lord's day that Jesus set up. Not me, not, not preachers. We didn't do this. Actually, the disciples did, and Jesus endorsed it. And this is the Lord's day. And I know many of you know this, but I'm going to tell you why I'll be back at God's house tonight because I love him. I'm not doing it because it's a law. I'm not doing it because I'm paid. You kidding me? I guarantee you, you couldn't pay most people enough to be a pastor and deal with people and then stick with it. That would be a hireling, and the Bible's clear. When the wolf comes, they're gone. <laughs> they go find somewhere else to pastor for a while. And on they go, and on they go, and on they go. So I'm just trying to explain to you something significant. Please don't dish me. Please don't discount what I'm saying. I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to get you to hear the words of Jesus. How many want to get the help of God? Yes. That's like half of you. Yes. How many want to get the help of God in your life? Yes. Well, He's there. What do I got to do? I got to be aware of him. I got to quit turning my attention elsewhere. And, and what's an indicator that I am obviously focused on him? I'm doing what he says because I love him. Amen? He is the love of my life. It's the second key of what makes a disciple. Luke 14, 26, Jesus said, You can't love father, mother, brother, sister, and your own life, what you want to do more than you love me. And be my disciple. Now listen, you can be born again not be a disciple. If you're happy to live that way, go for it. I'm not. I want to be like Jesus. I want to get God's help. How many know Jesus was aware of the presence of the Father? Come on. How many know Jesus was aware of the presence of the Father? You can be like him. You can be aware of the presence of the Father. But how many know Jesus was going to do what the Father said no matter what? Why? Because he loved the Father. Not because of any rule or regulation. It's because he loved him. So number one, you've got to love God more than anything else. Amen. And what's an indicator? He said it three times. What's an indicator that I truly love God more than anything else? I do what he says. Right? Well, I'm too tired. I got this to do. I got that to do. I'm going to tell you right now. When I started riding bulls, I didn't care what else was in my life. Bull riding came first because it was my God. This is before I was born again. And nothing stopped me from getting to that next rodeo. It's amazing how many people can get stopped from going to God's house or going to God every day with other things. But when it comes to natural things, that's not the case. I'm going to tell you why. Because you love those things. When I fell in love with Jesus and Jesus told me, if you love me as much as you love that bull riding, imagine how different your life would be. I said, I'm going to make that happen. Because I want to walk in that kind of lifestyle. I want to walk knowing you're there. Anybody else? 1 John chapter 1. Well, you can't do that by ignoring him. And by ignoring him, I mean you may love things more than you love him. If you love things more than you love God, I got a word for you. You're ignoring him, whether you realize it or not. So I don't want to ignore him. I I want to be more aware of his presence in the last days than ever before. And and walk in the benefit of that presence. Amen? So go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. So we're talking about today... A part of our redemption of knowing the Lord's there. For who? Me. He's there to help you. The reason he's there is there to help you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. You there? Watch this. John said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have even handled concerning what? So now we know, now we know what he was talking about. He was talking about the word of life. The word word is capitalized because this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. John 1, 14, the word became flesh dwelt among us. So John's talking about Jesus here. And he goes on to say this very life, Jesus, was manifested. And we've seen and bear witness. How many know they did for three and a half years? We've seen and we bear witness and we're declaring to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, again Jesus, and it was manifested to us. So this is clearly talking about Jesus. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we're now what? Declaring to you. We're making it known to you. We got to walk with him. We want you to. We got to have fellowship with him. Still do. We want you to. Watch this. We've seen and heard and declared to you. Notice that you, watch this, also may what? Have fellowship. Underline it. The word fellowship is the same word there for communion. Commune means to be one with. If I'm one with somebody, I know it. I'm aware of it. You listening? Because commune means to be one with. Therefore, it's like I'm totally aware of this other person that I am one with because I am connected with them and I'm one with them. I'm in union with them. That's fellowship. So he said, the reason we're telling you all this is so that you may have fellowship with us. 
believers. Why? Watch. Because truly, talking about the disciples, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So what He just told you in verse 3, what you're about to read following now is all about one thing. We're trying to help you understand how you can know Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. That He is there for you that you can have fellowship, walk in unity with Him, an awareness of this unity with Him. Verse 4. Now, the reason we're writing these things to you is that, underline it please, underline it please, your joy may be full. Now, let me tell you what verse 4 just showed you. Verse 4 just showed you how aware you are of God. If you're aware of God, you're not depressed, you're not fearful, you're not down and out, you're full of joy. Why? Because the Lord is my strength, and He is joy, and therefore the joy of the Lord is my strength. How could you be in the presence of Jesus and not be full of joy? Now, the reason a lot are not, again, is because, guess what? They're not aware of His presence. Number one, one of the reasons is because they love things more than they love God. But I'm about to show you a second thing. So he said, those, verse four, those first four verses, saying all this to say, we're revealing Jesus to you so that you can have fellowship with us in the way that we now have fellowship with him. Basically what he's saying is, we want you to have fellowship with the Father and with Jesus just like we do. And if you do, your joy will be full. Anybody want some fullness of joy? Yes. Got to get aware of his presence. Yes. Verse 5, he's not done. This is the message. So now he's going to explain to you what he just said. This is the message which we have heard from Jesus, and we're declaring it to you. Remember, he kept saying, we're going to declare this to you. So here's what we heard from him, and we're declaring to you. Here's the message. You ready? So what he said earlier that we're making it known to you, here it is. Here's what we're making known to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Underline it. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Underline that. This is what we're trying to explain to you as believers, so that you can have the same kind of fellowship with the Father and with Jesus that we have. Be aware of His presence. You have to understand God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. Listen carefully. Six, if we say we have fellowship with Him, listen carefully. If we say that we're walking in awareness of His presence, because fellowship means you're walking full of joy, that means you're aware He's there, therefore you're walking in what? Total unity. Are you with me still? If we say, if we say that I am walking in this close communion with him, but I walk in darkness, you're lying. And you're not practicing the truth. So here's what he just said. You can't say you're close to God, and yet you yourself are not walking in the light. You're walking in darkness. You're walking in things that are contrary to the word. And if you are, you're not walking in close fellowship with God. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does it mean Jehovah Shammah is no longer there? Oh, no, he's there with you. If you commit adultery, he didn't leave the room. If you go steal money from the store, he was right there with you because he don't leave your spirit. He's right there with you. He don't leave you. Right? You cuss somebody out. He didn't walk out the room while you were saying those words to not hear him. I'm trying to help you learn how to walk in awareness. The Bible's trying to help us learn how to get the advantage of him being there for me. But i got to be aware of him. Are you listening? So what was the message? God's light. There's no darkness in him. I can't say I'm walking in this close awareness fellowship with him, and yet I'm walking in darkness. I'm, I'm not practicing the truth. I'm lying. I want you to keep that in mind with the rest of these verses. But if we walk in the light, If we do what? Come on, help me out. What is the light being referred to here? The entrance of my word gives light. My word is a light unto your your feet and 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 a total complete illumination to your path to take you forward. A lamp to your feet, a light to your path. The word is light. How do we walk in light? We walk in light of the word. We do what the word says. Right? So he says here clearly... uh, Powerful. This is powerful. He said, if, verse 7 again, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And therefore you're walking in fellowship with who? In awareness of who? God. Because the blood of Jesus, his, Jesus Christ, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Now he puts that in there to say this. You're walking in the light doesn't mean you're cleansing yourself. The blood of Jesus cleansed you. 
The blood of Jesus made you brand new. But when you walk in the light, you're walking towards God, and therefore you're walking in awareness of Him. You're not earning anything because the blood is what provided you the opportunity to have this relationship. But you can't have the blood cleanse you and then walk in darkness and say, I have close fellowship with God. He just said, you're lying. Because God's light, you can't live in a life of willful sin and continue to think it's okay. This is why the devil wants the hyper grace message put out there today. It doesn't matter if you sin or not. You know why he wants that? He don't want you aware of God's presence in your life. What is all these verses about? Fellowship, close communion, being aware of God. God's light, there's no darkness in him. If you're going to sin, he doesn't leave you. But guess what? You're not aware of his presence because you're not walking in the light. What you're breaking is you're breaking an intimate fellowship with God and you're choosing instead, you ready, to fellowship with the darkness. Think about that. God's light in the world is darkness. If I walk in willful sin, I choose to break my fellowship. Doesn't mean God left you. You're still born again. He's still in you. I'm just not walking in close union with him. I'm not aware of him. Why? Because I'm walking in awareness of what? Darkness. This is really simple. But thank God he provided a way through the blood of Jesus when we get off into darkness, how we can immediately get back in fellowship. You're not going to earn your way back. Are you still here? So again, in verse uh, 7, he tells us, don't forget that we have fellowship with him if we walk in the light. And his blood is what cleanses us from all sinful acts. He's going to tell you why that's important, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. If we say I'm walking, remember the whole context, if I say I'm walking close to God, but I'm walking in darkness and say, well, I'm I'm not walking in sin, but yet you're walking in darkness, yes, you are. If you're walking in darkness, you're walking in sin. Don't say, well, I'm not walking in sin when clearly you're walking in the aspect of what is the lifestyle of darkness. You're lying again. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, say, thank you, Jesus. So if you're in that state of darkness and we confess our sin, what is he? He's faithful. Help me preach today. He's faithful and just to do what? Instantly forgive you of your sins. And what the devil doesn't want you to think is, if I actually confess that sin, I'm instantly forgiven. He don't want you to think that. What's amazing to me is how how people, when they were sinners, came to Jesus. Think of every sin you ever committed before coming to Jesus. And the moment you asked Jesus to forgive you, how long did it take him? It was instantaneous. But then we get born again, and now we think, for some reason, if I confess my sin, I'm not forgiven yet. That i got to prove myself by lifestyle before I can get forgiven. Nope. The blood of Jesus is what cleanses you from sin. So what he's trying to... This is what the Bible always gives us. It gives us the God balance to the truth. Here's the God balance to the truth. Ready? You could not get in this relationship without Christ. But if you choose to get over walking in aspects of darkness in your life, you're pulling away from him who is light... And therefore, you're fellowshipping in darkness. You can't fellowship with the light and fellowship in darkness. Can't be living in sin and be fellowshipping with God. Why? He's light. There's no darkness in him. He didn't leave you. You're just not in awareness of his presence. Right? But guess what? Here's what religion said. Religion said, okay, so but if you confess that, all right, yeah, he might forgive you, but you're going to have to work your way back over here. No, 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 no. As quick as he forgave you as a sinner, he forgives you as a believer. How quick am I back in fellowship with God? Instantaneous. Tell me that isn't awesome. Now the other lie is I can go live however I want and walk in fellowship with God. No, you can't. That's a lie. You cannot walk in darkness and walk in fellowship with God and not confess your sin. If you don't confess your sin, what sin? The ones he makes you aware of? Don't go to bed every night, Lord, for any sin I may have committed I didn't know about. He didn't say confess whatever sin you may not be aware of. He didn't say that. He said you confess your sin, ones you're aware of. And if you confess that sin, he's faithful to do what? Forgive. And to do what? Come on, tell me. Cleanse us from what? So the phrase here, cleanse us of all, of all unrighteousness, means you not being aware of God's presence or not walking in a rightful place of fellowship. This is all about fellowship. You're not walking in a rightful place of fellowship living in sin. But if you'll confess your sin, fess up. Fess up. Don't say, well, this is, this is what's horrible to me. Somebody come up to somebody and say, I'm sorry for what I did. Oh, no problem. I forgive you. But let me tell you why you should have never done that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you want to do that? You're trying to punish him. God's not going to punish him. So what, you going to punish him now? 
And all the husbands and wives said, Amen. If somebody confesses their sin to you of wrong and to God, do what? Forgive them just like God does. Amen. God's not going to punish them. Aren't you glad? You're about to see this. God's not going to punish you for that sin. There's no punishment. It's called broken fellowship. You can't live in darkness and be aware of God's presence as a believer. You can't. You're fellowshipping with sin. You're not aware of the light. And he wants you aware of the light. But how long does it take him to forgive you? It's instantaneous. And he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Broken fellowship. Instantaneously, my fellowship is restored. Tell me that ain't good. Now watch this. Everybody knows verse 9. Read on. If we say again that we've not sinned, one who... Now go back to the immediate reference that was starting all this off. This is talking about somebody who says, I'm walking with God, but they're walking in darkness. That's the person we're dealing with here. If we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 10, but if I say that I have not sinned, I don't fess up. I won't acknowledge that I did wrong. Then we make God a liar and his word's not in us. How do we make him a liar? God says, that's wrong. You said, no, I haven't done anything wrong. God says, it's wrong. You say, no, I haven't done anything wrong. You're a liar. God's truth. If God says it's wrong, this is why... As a pastor, the hardest thing to help people with in their life, especially in key positions of leadership, is to go to them with the Word of God and say, I love you. You're hurting your life. I'm here to help you. I want you to receive this correction from the Word of God so you don't keep hurting your life. Oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. No, how many times I've heard that? Well, the Bible says you are. I'm not telling The Bible's telling you. You're telling me I'm doing wrong. No, I'm not. The Bible said you're doing wrong. The Bible said this is not what you're supposed to do. You're walking in unforgiveness. You're not supposed to do that. You're mouthing off and gossiping. You're not supposed to do that. God hates gossip. Didn't hate the gossiper, but he hates the gossip. You're slandering. God doesn't like slander. Matter of fact, it's on his hate list over in Proverbs. So guess what? You're going to hurt your life. Oh, I'm not doing that. Oh, I'm not doing that. Oh, I'm not doing that. You're lying. And obviously, you're not walking in a close awareness of God. Because if you're not doing what the Bible says, if you don't do what the Bible says and you say you're not doing anything wrong, guess what you're doing? You're lying. If the Bible says it's wrong and it's black and white, you say, oh, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. You're lying. Say, don't, don't, don't lie. It's not good to lie. He's not done yet, chapter 2, verse 1, because this wasn't written in chapter verse. My little children. So we know he's talking to believers here. Watch this. These things, watch. These things I write to you so that you may not what? Sin. I'm not telling you this so you can sin and get away with it. I'm saying you don't want to do this because if you get in sin willfully, guess what you're going to do? You're going to break fellowship with God. Now, does it mean you'll never sin? No. But what he's saying is don't do it willfully. Don't go, don't go live in sin on purpose. I'm telling you this so you understand when you get in sin, you break fellowship with God. You're not aware of his presence. So the reason I'm telling you this is so that you don't keep doing what you know not to do. Are you still here? Guess what our topic is tonight in our, in our Bible class? How not to sin. Tell me God doesn't have great timing. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, thank you, Jesus, we have an advocate. So if we do sin, we have an advocate with a father, a go-between, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Not just for ours, but also for the whole world, for those who receive and get born again. So what does that mean? So real simple. Your fellowship is broken with God when you're in sin. If you don't confess it, that fellowship is still broken, meaning what? You're not going to be aware of God's presence. And if you're not aware of his presence, guess what you can't get? Help. Why? Because he's there for me. But i got to be aware of it. So walk this out with me. Sin is broken fellowship with God because God's light. You can't walk in darkness and fellowship with God. He's light. But if you walk in the light, as he's in the light, now you have fellowship. What happens if I accidentally get or even just even maybe willfully at one time get off into sin? Confess it. Confess it's wrong. Acknowledge it to God. Confess it's wrong and thank him I'm forgiven and I'm right back in fellowship with God. Now, here's what the devil's going to try to do. Now, God's going to, he's going he gonna to beat you up for that. He's going to punish you for that. No. That's why he said, you better remember this. Even once you confess your sin and you're back right with God, Jesus is still your advocate, your go-between. He is the propitiation for your sin. What's propitiation? He bore your punishment. So God's not going to punish you because Jesus bore that punishment. God never punishes a believer for aspects of sin when they repent. He's not going to punish you. And even if you're still in sin, he's not punishing you. The sin is punishing you. 
So thank God we can do what? Walk in close fellowship with God. How? Number two, how do I walk in awareness of his presence? Don't live a life of sin. And don't deny when you've done wrong. Confess it to God. Quit denying when you've done wrong. If you've been caught wrong or you've done wrong, acknowledge it. Confess it and get back in close fellowship with God. Last verse is Romans 8. Now I'll go through these quick because I know I'm way out of time, running out of time here, it seems like always. Romans chapter 8, but I want to get this in here. Romans 8. One, make sure you love God more than anything else. Two, don't live in willful sin. You walk in the light and you will walk in awareness of God's presence. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We owe a debt but not to our flesh. Because our flesh did nothing to deliver us. Jesus did. So we don't owe a debt to our flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, guess what's going to happen? You're going to walk in a form of death. Separation from God whose life itself. Not separated from Him but not walking in that close fellowship. If the Spirit, notice this, but if the Spirit, uh, uh, but if you walk by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, guess what? You're going to walk in life. You're going to live. 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are what? Sons of God. The word sons mean one who who depends on another. Doesn't refer to male or female. For as many as are led, led, led by the Spirit of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, what's He going to lead you in line with? The truth. The Spirit's in you. If you're led by the Spirit of God, what's that mean? You're depending on God. You are sons of God. You're depending on Him. 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, the new spirit within you. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out what? Abba, Father. 16, therefore the Spirit Himself does what? He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So how do I become aware of His presence? Through my spirit man. He doesn't bear witness with your brain. He bears witness with your spirit man. But you got to do something with your mind to become aware of your spirit man. Back up just a little bit in the, in the same chapter to verse 5. Just for a moment, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now another translation brings the Greek out this way. For those who identify with the old flesh nature. To set your mind on the things of the flesh means you're identifying with your old flesh nature. That's what you're focused on instead of the new man on the inside. So those who identify with the old flesh nature, how do they do that? How is it that a believer is identifying with the old flesh nature? How are they doing that? They're setting their mind on fleshly things. You listening? But those who live or identify with according to the new spirit nature, what are they doing? They're setting their mind on the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is what? Death. But listen to this. To be spiritually minded is what? If I'm walking in life in peace, guess what I'm walking in? An awareness of God in me. You can't walk in an awareness of God in you and not walk in life. Zoe, life as God has it, and peace. So this is number three. Number three, to walk in an awareness of God's presence, you have to set your mind on spiritual things. You cannot set your mind on all the things of the flesh and all the things of the world and just kind of give God a little bit of your attention once in a while and then think you're going to be aware of God. You're not. You're not going to be aware of God with your mind set on the things of this world. If your mind is set on the things of this world, you're still in love with it. You don't want your mind set on fleshly things. You want your mind set on spiritual things. How do I do that? Renew your mind to the Bible. Renew your mind to the Word of God. Renew your mind to who you are. Renew your mind to who God says you should live like now. Renew your mind to what God says you should sound like now. Renew your mind to that. And guess what happens? You start now becoming more aware of spiritual things, including the presence of God who bears witness with your spirit. Could I get any amens on that? Praise God. Close up shop. Stand to your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you 
May God's very best be yours.